Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Skype is really struggling right now. It's I not bet the best. I bet that it's struggling so much because so many people are on it. Yeah. It's suddenly yeah. being used so much more. So much. Yeah. This may be an interesting ride. You know. That we're going to go on together. Just like everything else in 2020. Wow. For real. That hits home <sighs> in a brutal, brutal way. You know, it's all great. Mm-hmm. That's the word it. I would use to describe it. Um, How... <laughs> it feels really stupid to ask how your week has been. Because you know that I've been home? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it feels so, like, facetious asking people, like, how are you? Because the answer is invariably going to be, like, yeah, not great. <laughs> well, I think it's not It's not so much like a, hey, how are you? But, like, a, how are you doing with yeah. this? You know, yeah. because, like... I, I mean, I oscillate back and forth between freaking out about how long this is actually going to last or may actually last and yeah. being like very grateful for the situation that I am in because considering what's going on, it could be a whole lot worse. Yeah. And so I kind of toggle between, oh my God, what am I going to do? And wow, I have it pretty good. Um, I feel like some parts of it have not fully sunk in yet. Mm -hmm. And one of these days I'm just going to start crying for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be over that maybe. But that hasn't happened yet. That was my last night. (laughs) Yeah. Like it was. Yeah. It was the first like full on panic attack that I've had about this whole thing because like this is like straight up my like literal childhood nightmare like in real life yeah like I because I when my sister got sick I was like so petrified of getting her sick because she was immunocompromised yeah and so I was like an obsessive germaphobe like I have scars on my hands from where my hands cracked because I washed them so much like I remember I would wash my hands and then like I couldn't figure out how to leave the bathroom because I didn't want to touch the doorknob because then I would just have to wash my hands again. Yeah. And like it. Yeah. And so so this is like a like literal worst fear of mine. That's that's um, happening just happening in the yeah. world. So it's great. It's great. Super great. Mm-hmm. So great. But, you know, it's 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 actually very great that I have Evan, who is like endlessly the voice of reason and and don't get me wrong, is like freaked out and scared on in his own right, but is so sure. much um But he's also Mr. Prepared. And he's such a good like like sounding board for me to be like hey like we're making the right choice staying home even though our work is like I mean our individual works are being great about it but like on the whole right things are pretty up in the air and so I keep just being like we're making the right choice right like this is how we both keep ourselves healthy and like keep our family healthy and keep 
random fucking people that we run into at a grocery store healthy. Like we just, we just do this. Right. And he's like, yep, this is 100%. This is the only way that, that, you know, everything is going to be fine. And like, I think it was like yesterday was just a lot of that realization of like, wow, this is a, this is going to be a like, like era defining. Oh, completely. Generational trauma that everyone has. Yeah. You know, this is going to be like, it's going to change a lot of things. It's such a huge thing. It, I mean, this is like, (laughs) you know, like Evan and I have talked about, this is going to be the thing that makes like our generation start hoarding food. Like, like people who lived through the great depression. Yeah. Like it's going to be that level of thing. And so I think that was kind of the thing that made me be like, fuck man (laughs) was just realizing like, okay, yeah, this is like really big. This is a really, really big thing. It is. It's a really big thing. And it's weird that it like took a while for that to that realization. I don't think but. that's weird at all because I think that the a lot of the information that we were fed initially was that it was not our problem. It was a problem overseas. It was the flu. It was the common cold. It only affected old people. It, you know, like they made it seem so nonchalant that the realization of how real it is took a lot longer to settle in because the information that we were getting did not make it clear for a long time. And see, like, I think that that's something that puts Evan and I in a weird spot. So we were we were three days away from our flight home in Iceland when, like, the first coronavirus news broke. So, like, every time that we were at a Wi-Fi spot, we were reading about Wuhan and reading about China. And, like, we kept being like, this seems huge because they're, like, building two hospitals in the course of a week to handle the number of people. And both of us kept being like, what the fuck? Like, this seems like a huge thing. And then we came back and, and like, nothing. nobody nobody seemed nervous about it at all. And people kept telling us, like, yeah, it's just the flu. Like, it's like an, it's like a bad cold. And we kept being like, yeah, except that that was it's such an extreme response in China. And that's just the amount that we know from China, because they are famously not a uh, super forthcoming forthcoming country. So, like, those are just the things that we know. And like. So, like, we have been, you know, we literally, we got home from Iceland, and, like, that week, Evan went out and, like, bought food and shit for us to, like, hunker down for a while, because both of us were like, this seems like it's going to be huge. And so it's been a real weird thing to, like, the last couple weeks have everyone be like, oh, dang, this yeah. is, this is, like, a real thing, because we've Cause been... we were not told the truth for a very long yeah, time. it's, it's... It's wild. It is wild. It's incredibly wild. It's wild. And it's, I think the thing that I'm struggling with the most is grieving over the life that we had before this all happened. Because I don't think that life will be the same for a very, very, very long time, if ever. Yeah, I mean, things are definitely going to be different. The way that people have started to watch out for each other, and I'm not talking about people that hoard 
freaking sanitizer and no because fuck those people the soap i am enraged by those people i mean the people that like chicago wide there was a movement to everybody saying bon jovi live it on a prayer out your window at the same time that apparently bon jovi took part in because why not because why not um but that kind of thing where like people are offering free yoga and workout classes online Mm mm-hmm for the home people are streaming you know tai chi or whatever song they've just learned or breathing exercises or like yeah it's brought everybody together virtually in an incredibly uplifting way yeah like yeah i mean this morning i had brunch with jill and carrie and stacy and joanna and like yesterday we all just were on our computers at home. Like, yep. I mean, Joanne is in the South Pacific and like, yep. which, so at Trevor's job, they always do shotgun Fridays. Yeah. And it's become kind of a thing where people around Chicago, specifically in the brewery industry will come over to alarmist on Friday afternoons to take part in shotgun Friday. And so yesterday they had a zoom conference call. And everybody from all over the city gathered together to shotgun a beer and they That's all sanitized so their key good. before they. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's just been, we're going to have happy hour later with his family over probably zoom. But yeah, it's, it's weird and horrifying, but encouraging. And I don't know how to feel. Yeah. It's a lot of feelings all the time. Mm-hmm. Do you know what feeling I do feel really good about though? Welcome to Babetown, Reagan. I knew you were going to say it, and I almost said it anyways. Yes. Thank you. Well, I would like to cordially welcome you to Babetown, Taylor. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I have... Oh, what are you drinking? Oh, I have a little uh, I have a little tequila. I have a little oh. reposado that I'm sipping on. <laughs> Just a straight up tequila? Yep. yep. That's a baller move. Quarantine. (laughs) There are no rules. What are you drinking? Ginger ale and a big old glass of water. Um, In addition, may I know what year your babe was born? I have a real strong suspicion that I'm going first because my babe was born in 1651. You are so correct. Yeah. In a humongous way. I was going to be like, like, oh, wow, three years apart. No, you're going first. (laughs) I was going to be like, I'm going to be really surprised and very intrigued if you're going first this week. No, I'm not. Um, okay. Well, can you hear me good enough? My mic is a little bit far away, so I'm I can't. curious you to see what it actually sounds like. Normal to me. Cool. Um, Reagan. Taylor. Have you ever heard of Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz? I really don't think so, no. Mm, I'm so glad. And also mm-hmm. forgive me because I know that you speak Spanish and I don't. And there are going to be a lot of real Spanish names in this. I love that you just made our listeners believe that I am fluent in Spanish. Okay, you are so much more fluent than me. Like, like a dude came into Moose's Tooth one time when I was hosting and I was like looking down at the list and didn't look up. <laughs> and I was like, how many people are in your party? And he said, cuatro. And I had to look up and be like, is what is is that four? Like, what is that? And he was like, yeah, dude, it's four. <laughs> I was like, okay, I don't know. 
Excuse you, random stranger. I so. I love that. I almost didn't say anything just to like let people believe that I speak Spanish, <laughs> and not I know enough words to like get by with a toddler for fifteen minutes. Um, well, that's much more than I do. So, but I'm I'm worried that somebody would like message me in Spanish, and then I'd be like, <laughs> oh no. You'd be like, oh no, Taylor set me up for failure. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, all right. Proceed. So, lots of Spanish names. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Get ready. Okay. So, Sorbana, which is what we're gonna call her, because okay. her full name is very long. Um, she was born November twelfth, sixteen fifty one, maybe. So there's Probably. like there's like two different. She was either born in sixteen forty eight, or she was born in sixteen forty one. So she was a nun. And apparently, like, like convent records have her at 1648, but, like, census records have her as 15, like, 1651. So there's some I mean, debate. They're pretty close either way. They're pretty close. So, yeah. Um, so I'm rolling with 1651 because that's the one that most sources rolled with. So we're sure. going with that. Um, she was born in Nepantla Viceroy of New Spain, which is sure. Mexico before it was Mexico. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Um, so her mom was Creole. Her dad was Spanish. Um, she was born out of wedlock, which like every single article mentioned, which I can only imagine is important because it's like the 1650s. Yeah. I mean, it was important up until like last year, you know, that's everybody keeps freaking out about, I feel like everybody that we cover that is born out of wedlock, every article makes sure that, you know, (laughs) yeah, like it matters. Um, so her family was of modest means and um, she was so smart, like so, so, so smart. She wrote her first poem at age eight and was teaching other kids Latin by age 13. Whoa. Yeah. I read one article. I only saw it one place, so I didn't put it in here, but it's a fun fact if it's true that she went to 20 span or 20 Latin lessons and was like considered fluent. Like, was wow. a real smart lady. Um, we, but, if that person was in quarantine right now, do you know how many languages they would speak by the end of quarantine? Just you wait. Oh, boy. I picked this lady for a reason. <laughs> oh, boy. So um, she's a lady, though, and sure. it's the 1650s right. in pre-Mexico. Oh, right. So right. she can't get a formal education anywhere. I mean, who um, needs one? Who needs one? It was to the point where she would, like, consistently beg her family to let her dress as a man so she could go to school. And they all said no. They were, which, like, is fair. It's fair. But also, let the lady cross-dress. I mean, but she's, like, a literal child. And, like, so that I makes imagine, it easier. Pull but I imagine start. that, like, punishment for getting caught trying um, to, like, learn. Oh, yeah, 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 because people punished people for trying to learn the worst so um eventually her mom sends her to live with relatives in mexico city um and wano was so smart that she caught the eye of the viceroy which i looked it up and a viceroy according to the google dictionary Mm -hmm. is a ruler exercising authority in a colony on behalf of a sovereign so he's the viceroy of spain okay Okay. Right. 
So he's like a governor, kind of. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so she's super smart. She catches his eye. Um, in 1664, so, like, at the most, she's 16, and at the least, she's 13, um, he invites her to be a lady-in-waiting at court, where he consistently had her smarts tested by, like, 40 scholars of all sorts (laughs) of different, like, professions. She's like, now we're having fun. Yeah, yeah, and so he's just like, no, you, you can't possibly be this smart, right? So he just keeps having people come in and, like, test out her smarts, which... Wow, I would love to see that. That's the movie that I want to see. It's Heck just yeah. like she's also a sixteen-year-old sitting there, just like spewing Doogie Howser level intelligence. Just so smart, and she's probably having a freaking blast because oh, she's so wanted to be tested for however many years. Yeah. And so now she just gets to be like, boom, roasted, boom, boom roasted, boom, it. roasted. Done it. Speak that language too. Mm. I love it. Um, because at this point, by the way, she speaks three languages. Sure, naturally. Because why wouldn't she? Um, so in 1667, she realizes that she has, quote, a total disinclination to marriage. And all she wants in the world is to, quote, have no fixed occupation which might curtail my freedom to study. So she joins a convent so that she doesn't have to get married. And all she has to do is sit around and read shit. I mean, yeah, if you're that much smarter than everybody else around you, yeah, you don't want to marry a dum-dum. No, of course not. Let alone a dum-dum who's going to be like, you're a lady, I'm in you control can't read. Of you. Yeah, yeah, fuck off. Yeah. So um, in 1669, so two years later, she moves to a more lenient convent of Santa oh, Paula of the Hieronymite Order. And oh. that's where she stays for the rest of her life. Okay. Um, yeah, so she's like 21. And just decides, like, you know what? I'm just going to study forever, and that is going to be a great time. Mm. Um, so once she is there at Santa Paula, um, I wrote, that bitch got to work. Yes, she <laughs> because did. she got to work. So she's then teaching music and drama to all the girls at the convent school. She works as the convent's archivist and accountant. All of this with no formal education. She's self-taught in all of this. Man. Amazing. Um, she gathers one of the largest private libraries in the New World, which is also pretty wild. I think it's crazy because, like, a lot of people have a lot of aptitudes in aptitudes, excuse me, in <laughs> certain areas, and it sounds like she has them in everything. In everything. Like it's in everything. It's artistic and cultural and languages and apparently mathematics. She's the accountant. Yeah. Like she, I mean, it's all of the things. Yeah. She's good at all of them. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so throughout all of this, she's criticized all the time for how much she wants to learn because it was viewed as quote unfeminine, which like fuck off. Um, People are just jealous. Yeah. They're throughout- just so dumb. All of it, though, the Viceroy and his wife are both huge fans of hers. So everything that she writes, they're taking over to Spain and having it published. Yes. So she's becoming this, like, huge author in Spain. Yes. Just this nun in Mexico. So like, the Viceroy and his wife are like, this lady is the best. <laughs> well, that's amazing. I love it so much. So <laughs> You've seen this shit? This shit's crazy. <laughs> So in the 1680s, she becomes the unofficial court poet. 
which I don't really know what that means, but it's the cutest sounding thing I've ever heard in my life. It's pretty adorable. Um, all of her poems are feminist as fuck too, which is so great because it's like the 1600s and she's a nun. But I also can't imagine someone being super duper well read and brilliant and being like, no, everything I've read, you guys are right. And we that's should... kind of the thing though, is that she's, so she ends up and we'll talk a little bit more about it later, but she ends up being one of the like earliest voices of feminism. Like it's not mm-hmm. even as though she's reading other things and like, like being influenced by that because she is one of the first. Oh, I love it. So good. So she writes a poem um, that translates to foolish men, um, <laughs> basically throwing the accusation that women are illogical back at dudes and being like, are you kidding me? Like, have you ever talked to a woman? We're the illogical ones. Like, <laughs> come on. Um, so many of her poems talk about women as being the heart of logic and knowledge rather than just like the stereotypical girly passion that they're like always, always portrayed as. Portrayed as. Um, she is, yeah, so she, all of her writings make her to this day, kind of revered as this huge voice of the Spanish Baroque movement. And there are like a ton of philosophical ideas that seem to pop up in her writing that didn't really pop up until later with like the Enlightenment. Yes. Like she's so ahead of her time and she's just a nun, like writing in her convent cell all the time. Amazing. Um, So because of all this writing, naturally, she becomes a little bit misaligned with the church, which is a problem because she's a nun. Sure, so yeah. in 1690, the Bishop of Puebla, under the pseudonym of another nun, published a critique that Juana had written about a Jesuit preacher, and he published it without her permission. Cool. Yeah. He said, quote, letters, in de- in letters engendering pride in women are not pleasing to God barf i they're so okay Mm -hmm. so much horrible aside Mm -hmm. has he read the bible dude jesus was real stoked on his mom dude i love the phrase jesus was real stoked (laughs) on his mom (laughs) i mean there's a whole whole bunch of people they're known Mm -hmm. as catholics Real, real stoked. Real stoked about, about Jesus' mom. Jesus' mom, who happens to be, whoops, a lady. Yep. Yep. Ugh. But she can't be prideful. That's bad. No. God. So. um apologize for being Jesus' mom. <laughs> so this bishop also says that Juana should focus on religious studies rather than secular studies. Mm-hmm. To which she doesn't really see the point because. She's what becoming is the misaligned point? with the church. Of, narrow, of, like, narrowing your worldview when you're actively trying to expand it. Yep. Fine. Um, <clears throat> so in 1691, in response to him publishing her letter, Juana wrote, Respuseta Asor Filotia de la Cruz, which I'm sure is a horrible butchering of that, but essentially it's response to Filotia, which is the name of the nun that he posed as. Um, and this kind of becomes her, like, everything that I read calls it her feminist manifesto. It's like this huge 
novel, basically, where she talks about um, the life obstacles that she's faced due to her love of learning and also how it doesn't super line up with the whole, like, her having a vagina. (laughs) Um, She writes, she wrote and was quoting a Catholic priest, I guess. Um, She wrote, one can perfectly well philosophize while cooking supper. (laughs) So good. Oh, yes. So good. Um, So she... She uses this to basically like champion equal rights for women and the importance of women getting an education and how she doesn't think that it's a bad thing if women want to uh, foster their love of learning, because how could it be a bad thing? Yeah. Um, so in 1695, she uh, was helping other nurses during an epidemic, which like barf timely. Yeah. Um, and she got sick and died. So she was around 44 or 41, depending on the year that you are going by. Um, right. She is considered to this day a national hero in Mexico, even being the face of the $200 peso or the 200 peso bill. Amazing. Not $200 peso. Yeah, that's, that's not how that works. It's not a thing. Um, currency. Currency. You know, it's wild. Um So Virginia Woolf recommended her writing because she, quote, created a room of her own, which I love. Um, She was the first published feminist of the New World, all thanks to her buddy, the Viceroy, which is so cute. Um, So my favorite quote that came from her feminist manifesto, she says, quote, who has forbidden women to engage in private and individual studies? Have they not a rational soul as men do? I have this inclination to study, and if it is evil, I am not the one who formed me thus. I was born with it, and with it I shall die. Yep. Yep. Get it, girl. So good. And um, that is the short and sweet story of Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz. Man. Do you think she knew how long it would take for it actually to catch on? No, <laughs> no, that was not. what I read was that like a whole like she had a huge resurgence in people reading her works with the like suffragette movement and like with the feminism movement, you know, 300 years later. Yeah, a, a cool 300 years. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Good for her, dude. Yeah. As women, we appreciate her. Absolutely. And also it's weird. Um, do you know who Kristen Ritter is? The playwright? No, the actor. Uh, Jessica Jones. Wait, what? No, I don't think I know. the lady that plays Jessica Jones. I don't think I know who that person is. She looks just like her. (laughs) It's real weird. Like I looked at, I looked up a photo and I was like, Oh, what the fuck? (laughs) Oh my. Wow. Okay. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Man. So what a babe. What a babe. What a cool, badass babe. Yep. Um, so to source my shit real quick, it's a short one. Um, Britannica.com, huge help. Biography.com. Yep. Um, and then there's a website called amazingwomeninhistory.com. Heck yes. And... Um, their like banner for their website is all the kick-ass women the history books left out. 
Yes. And it's an article written by Carrie Angle. Carrie Angle, I love you. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's my babe. What a good babe. Such a good also, babe. Also, very well done. Thank you. Um, okay, so settle in. Sit back, relax. Taylor. Yes. Have you ever heard of Irina Sendler? No. That is unfortunate because everyone should. Uh-huh. Okay. Here we go. It's kind of fortuitous that yours is kind of short because mine might go a little long. All right. I love it. Irina. Here we are. She was born February 15th, 1910 in Warsaw, Poland. You may be able to see where I'm going with this. Her great-great-grandfather led a rebellion against the czars. So that's a fun little tidbit. Oh. Yeah. So Irina grew up in Otwok, which was 15 miles outside Warsaw. Um, There was a Jewish community there, though she and her family themselves were not Jewish. Her father was a physician, and it said humanitarian, but basically he just treated the very poor without charging anything. So he was a very decent man. Yeah. Um, But unfortunately, there was a typhus outbreak, and he died in 1917 from contracting it from his patients, which again, yikes, timely. Um, So after his death, the Jewish community kind of came together and offered Irina's mother some money to help with the financial burden, but she turned them down for some reason. I don't know. Um, in 1927, she went to the university of Warsaw and began studying law, but then switched it to Polish literature. But basically everything was super racist against Jews. Yeah. They had these things called ghetto benches where Jewish students were threatened with expulsion if they didn't sit in certain benches reserved exclusively for them on a certain side of the room. Ew. Yeah. They also had identification cards with Jewish or non-Jewish printed on them. She was super against all of this. um, So she defaced her identification card. (laughs) Amazing. Yes, girl. But unfortunately she suffered from a lot of academic disciplinary actions because of her activities and reputation as a communist and a, quote, philo-Semite, which literally just means that she was friends with and an ally to Jewish people. Gross. And they used it as an insult and a reason to discipline her. I, wow. It, um, so she joins the Polish Union of Democratic Youth, which later became the Polish Socialist Party. Okay. And then kept trying to get a job in the Warsaw school system, but was constantly refused because her university was sending out negative reviews of her, calling her too leftist. So they're like actively blocking her from getting a job. Wow. Um, But she eventually became involved in the Free Polish University, where she was more and more influenced by activists in the Communist Party of Poland, which was an illegal group at the time. Uh which like this whole thing made me stop and look at like laws and what is quote unquote legal because just having a communist party was illegal. Yeah. And I, yes, there were disciplinary measures, but it was soon to be illegal 
to fraternize or help Jewish people. That is so crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But they passed law. I can't. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So Irina belonged to a group of social workers that was led by a woman, Professor Helena Redlinska. Okay. Um, and over a dozen women that were in that group later became involved in hiding and smuggling Jews. Mm. So it was a pretty dope group. Yeah. Um, which social workers already bless. So she yeah. becomes a social worker and she worked for a section that was called the section for mother and child assistance at the citizen committee for helping the unemployed. So basically she just worked directly with Warsaw's impoverished Jewish women who were disadvantaged because of their situation, whether they were widowed or had illegitimate children, quote unquote, they were out of wedlock. Yeah. You know, all of those things that society is like gross. It's like super normal. Um, but unfortunately, she worked with them in extreme poverty and basically any way that she could work with women and children, she did. She published two works in 1934 about children born out of wedlock for, from Jewish mothers and the impact of how they were being viewed as socially less than. Yeah. Um, so then the government decided to disband her section. And those employees were absorbed into the city government as just like basic welfare workers and social health workers. Damn. Around this time, this part's kind of funny and I like to include it. She married a guy who went off to war. Well, this part's not funny. I'm sorry. I, the whole, okay. This is a roller coaster. <laughs> I'm so sorry. The whole chunk has comedy. This initial part, not good. Okay. okay. I, Put that in the wrong place. Oh, no. Oh, God. Okay, so she marries a guy who goes off to war. He was captured as a POW, but not until 45, he lived. He survived. Okay. They divorced in 1947. She married another guy who she happened to be best friends with. They had three kids. He eventually left, and then they divorced. And then she remarried her first husband, and then they divorced again 10 years later. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Roller coaster. But I just love the idea of like, all right, we can make it work this time. Nope. No, we can't. Nope. nope still just kidding. Goodbye. Nope. Still can't do it. <laughs> okay. So November 1st, 1939, the Germans invade Warsaw. Mm -hmm. This is where everything starts to go super downhill. Um, they ordered all Jewish people removed from the staff of the municipal social welfare department where Irina worked. And then barred the department from providing any assistance to Warsaw's Jewish citizens. So she and her coworkers were reassigned to helping injured and sick Polish soldiers, which, okay, also a good cause. And yet mm -hmm. the Jewish people were forced to get help from the Jewish run facilities they had, but also those weren't being funded. So it was just a downward spiral. Wow. So Irina was a genius and she started generating false medical documents about her quote unquote Polish soldiers and what they needed, but they were actually for Jewish patients that she was still seeing in secret. But as long as she wrote that the Polish soldiers needed it, she could get whatever she wanted. Wow. Yeah. So she and some of a couple of her friends 
start falsifying these documents. I read somewhere, I should have written the number down, but they falsified like 3,000 documents or something. Um, most of this was without her coworkers knowing, but three other women were also doing it, and they were all a group that were helping find ways to get Jewish families the help that they needed that were being excluded by the government. Dang. I'm going to try my best to pronounce their names. Here we go. Okay. Um, the other three women that were doing this with her were Jadwiga Piotrowska, Jadwiga Salek Deneko, and Irina Schultz. Basically, Maybe there were two they're... Jadwigas and two Irinas. Cute. And I love that. They were a little foursome. I love them. Cute. Okay. So, the Jewish people are forced into the Warsaw Ghetto. The Warsaw Ghetto was a portion of the city. I finally found, because everybody said that it was tiny, but nowhere said, like, how big. Apparently, it was roughly the size of Central Park. And okay. the Germans forced 400 to 450,000 Jews Holy to live shit. There. And then in 1940, they sealed it. No one in, no one out. But... Irina and her friend Irina Schultz were geniuses and they gained access to the ghetto by getting special permits in order to check for signs of typhus because the Germans were afraid of typhus and they were afraid that it would spread beyond the ghetto. So they were like, you're right. Good call. We should go in there and check to make sure that nobody else has it. Wow. And so that's how they got in. So they were doing, quote unquote, sanitary checks, and they would sneak in food, clothing, medicine, whatever supplies the people needed, and then they would sneak out as many babies as possible. And then later, wow. it grew to like more and more children and adults. So obviously, this was incredibly risky. Yeah. But then in October 1941, they literally passed a law that stated that if anybody um, brought any aid to Jewish people, you were punishable by death, but also your entire family. Jeez. Holy shit. Right? That passed as a law. Wow. I don't, I don't understand. Um, so she starts being known in the secret communities as Clara. And her work mainly involved finding hiding places, issuing fake documents, and then working as a li liaison with activists to help them find secret meetings. So initially life in the ghetto was relatively safe considering everything. It was better than being outside the ghetto as a new, yeah. you know, like it wasn't good, but it was, you were at least amongst your own people. Yeah. But in 1942, the Germans decided that they wanted to quote, liquidate the ghetto and exterminate the residents. And oh, I, my God. Um, those are people. Those are people. You can't liquidate. a. <sighs> so this is when this is what the Germans called the Great Action, which was the name for rounding up and mass murdering Jewish people from the Warsaw Ghetto. Wow. So Irina and her cohorts, cohorts, excuse me, man, I actually wrote cohorts. <laughs> nope. Whoops. Cohorts. Okay. Fix that. Great. <clears throat> so they 
are like, fuck no. And they start working in earnest to get as many kids out as they possibly can. And a lot of the workers were like, oh, we should take kids from the quote unquote deserving families first. And Irina was like, fuck you specifically. We're going to get <laughs> yeah. the orphans and everybody who has no help. Right. Who says who is a deserving family and who is not. Um, yeah. So what, a lot of the social workers, once they got in, refused to leave. And she couldn't always get back in. So a lot of times she worked outside as like the woman facilitating finding aid and finding mm-hmm. places and adolescents for to be placed once they got out. Later, her coworkers would state that when it came to smuggling and saving children, Irina Sendler was the most active and organize, organizationally gifted among them. Wow. Yeah. So a secret organization had arisen to help the Jewish people in the ghetto, and it was called the Council to Aid Jews. They developed a special section just for kids in October of 1843, and she ended up taking over that um, section under a different alias named Jolanta. Hmm. So about 25% of the kids that they took out were placed with Polish families. The other 75% were sent to convents or orphanages because convents were the safest place for them. Mm-hmm. But they were given Christian names and taught Christian prayers just in case they were found and tested. Oh, my God. Because what a horrible found, nightmare. Yeah. People found children and tested them on their prayers to make sure that their religion was acceptable. Wow. Isn't that horrifying? I just. Ugh. Um. But Irina felt that it was super important for all of them to hold on to their Jewish heritage. So she was keeping carefully documented lists, coded lists of their Christian names, their given names and where they were hiding. Wow. She would make all the lists and then she would bury them in jars so that she would have a a reference to return to hopefully after the war to return the children to their families. Oh, my God. A hero. Yes. So, October 18th, 1943, Irina was arrested by the Gestapo. They ransacked her house, but as they were doing so, she managed to pass a list of children to her friend, and they never searched her friend, so they never found any of the lists. They took her, beat her, imprisoned her, interrogated her, and she didn't give up a single coworker or a single child's name. So they set to execute her by firing squad. But one of her welfare co-workers set up a bribe with the guards walking her to execution and they let her go. What? Yep. That's so close. And survived. They were walking her to her execution and she survived. (laughs) She's like planning her last words. Amazing. Wow. So then they set up a petition asking for her to be reinstated to her government position with back pay for the time that she missed. And it was granted pretty easily. So she was like, oh, shit, they're just trying to find me. So she stayed in hiding. Dang. So then she becomes a nurse using going back to the name Clara. So she starts working as a nurse in a field hospital during the Warsaw Uprising. And she had found a way to hide Jewish patients among the patients in this hospital. So one day she goes out looking for food somehow. I'm not sure how, but a German deserter wounds her. She survives again. She's totally fine. And she keeps working as a nurse at that hospital until the end of the war. One day 
the hospital ran out of money, so she hitchhiked to a close city to ask for support from the communist government there. What? Yep. Wow. Got the money, reorganized the hospital into the Warsaw Children's Home. Wow. I don't... I mean, the drive of people to help other people is unbelievable. Yeah. So December 1945... She became the head of the Department of Social Welfare in Warsaw's government. And then she ran her department according to concepts that were pretty radical at the time that she had learned from Professor Helena at the Free University. Dang. She managed to gather all of the lists of the kids and all of their locations. And she started trying to reunite all of the kids with their parents. Oh, my God. Unfortunately, most of the parents had either died in concentration camps or gone missing. So then it sparked a debate about, like, should we return them to their nation and their people? But most of those kids ended up being taken out of Poland. Yeah. Some reports say that there's no way to know how many children she saved. But a lot of articles that I read said that it was estimated to be around 2,500 kids. Wow. That's so many. That's so she saved a generation. Like, yeah. Man. Wow. So she ends up becoming part of membership in the Warsaw City Council. She gets chairmanships for commissions for widows and orphans, the Health Commission. She's active in the League of Women. She's managing councils of like societies for friends and children and lay schools. And she's like, she's in it. And she's in administration and management for all of the things. Mm. Apparently she got into communism at some point that I don't really understand how or why. And uh, there was some confusing stuff about communism and Stalin that I don't super understand. Okay. But it, the, the through note <clears throat> of this is that she like super thrust herself into her social work yeah. no matter where she was specifically for like widows, children, that kind of thing. She received at least six decorations, including the Gold Cross for Merit for the wartime saving of Jews, another Gold Cross of Merit, and the Knight's Cross of the Order of Polonia Restituta. I think it's the... I don't know. I shouldn't say anything because I don't know. (laughs) Um, And then she was recognized by Yad Vashem as one of the Polish righteous among the nations. She received an award at the Embassy of Israel in Warsaw in 1965 with Irina Schultz. Wow. The Irinas. Oh. Yeah. Um, in 1962, she became a teacher at medical trade schools and consistently worked with orphans, widowed mothers, sex workers. She would help get sex workers reestablished into society. And she continued teaching and moved back to Warsaw, where she eventually retired in 1983. She apparently never told her children that their father was Jewish because she said, quote, the way they were brought up, race or origin didn't matter. Wow. Her daughter literally found out as an adult. Dang. Yeah. Um, she died on May 12th, 2008 of pneumonia. She was 98 years old and she is buried. Wow. in Yeah. She was recognized by Yad Vashem which is the um, Israeli museum dedicated to the Holocaust. Okay. I have actually been to. Wow. And it's, it's 
so much. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, we spent hours there and there's no way to see all of it. Yeah. But it's, it's amazing and remarkable and the most heartbreaking place that I've ever been to in my life. It's so much. Yeah. Um, they planted a tree in her honor at the garden of the righteous among the nations. She was made an honorary citizen of Israel. She was awarded the commander's cross. She got a higher version of that, the commander's cross with star in 2001. But all of this was in Europe. She was mostly unknown in the U.S. until a freaking high school in Uniontown, Kansas, (laughs) found out about her, researched her, and did a play based on her life in 1999 called Life in a Jar. It was hugely successful in the U.S. and abroad, and then they made a TV show based on it called The Courageous Heart of Irina Sendler, and Anna Paquin played Irina. Wow. Right? Weird. Not where I thought that was going to go. Nope. My favorite quote that I like, I would like to end on is, it took a true miracle to save a Jewish child. Mrs. Sindler saved not only us, but our, also our children and grandchildren and the generations to come. Wow. That was a woman who was saved as a baby in 1942. That's amazing. Incredible. I just, I love her. And I'm so appreciative of her and women and people like her that were like, oh, actually, fuck you. These are people and we're going to do everything in our power to save them. Yeah. Even if it kills us. Wow. Yeah. That's the crazy life of Irina Sendler. Good work. Thanks, man. It It was really uplifting to research. With everything going on, it made me incredibly thankful that things seem horrible now but they could be so much worse you know yeah um to source my shit uh wikipedia irinasendler.org where on irinasendler.org you can see where life in a jar is playing and you can request life in a jar to come to your city wow that's so cool yadvashem.org um, and then there was an awesome article on NBCnews.com called <laughs> this. This title of the article is so dumb. Well, it's not dumb. It's just like it seems too abrupt, you know? Yeah. A lot of times they're really eloquent, and this one is just woman who saved kids from Holocaust dies. <laughs> it's like okay, NBC. There's yeah a little bit more eloquent way you could say that, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Sure, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my babe this week. Man, that's a really good one. She's a pretty cool babe. It's a really, really good one. Thanks. Um, who is your babe this week? Oh, my other babe. Your my other babe. babe. Um, my babe of the week this week is my sister. Hmm. She is a nurse, and I was FaceTiming her not long ago and she's still working. She doesn't work in like an ER or a typical hospital, but she works in like a, a center specifically for surgery mm-hmm. and it's owned and run by surgeons. And so they're not closing because the surgeons don't really come in contact with like they, 
the patient is out and intubated, they do the surgery and leave. It's like it's the right. nurses and the front staff that are coming in contact with all of the people. Yeah. And so they're literally putting themselves at risk every day and they have no idea. And it's just, oh, man, it is another thing that made me thankful for my situation that like I'm so thankful for the people that are going out and risking getting it and spreading it to their families because they have to. Yeah. They're essential workers. And yes, it sucks to be unemployed, but that's what unemployment is for. And I know that I won't be evicted and I know that I'll be okay. And yeah. Yeah. I love you, Casey. You're doing a great, a great job. That's a really good one. Who's yours? Um, I think mine has to be Evan. I think just has to be (laughs) because this week has been so wild and stressful and anxiety filled. And like, he's just been a great person to have. And, um, you know, we keep like having little freak outs individually, but like not at the same time, which is helpful. So, um, it's just nice to kind of have, have that person who I can be like, Hey, so like worst case we get fired, but like, we're still doing the right thing. Right. And he was like, yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Just gotta, yeah. Gotta make sure on that sometimes. Um, and he's just been just so great. So yeah, I think, I think he's gotta be my babe. Yeah. I could not be happier that I'm in quarantine with who I'm in quarantine with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yep. Well, um, if you guys are still listening, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. And we appreciate you. And um, we really, really love you. Things to do during your isolation and or your quarantine and or your lockdown, because like, who the fuck knows what is going to be going on even tomorrow morning when this gets released um we are our all of our episodes are wherever you get podcasts so if you need to catch up go for it if you want to send us a tweet or an email or instagram Instagram or facebook or like whatever the fuck uh we're all (laughs) right yeah or you can text us Cause like, uh, my number it, no. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Also to hear from you. I hope that these episodes end up being a little ray of hope or reassurance or sunshine or something in our weeks to come. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have an exciting announcement for oh, you guys yeah. next week. There will be something different about our episodes there will be something new and spicy and spicy uh it is i'm excited i think that it's it's gonna be exciting and fun yeah it's gonna be good shit so so make sure episode whatever the number that one is it'll be 29 it'll be 29 question mark i think 29 um dang well i hope that you have a 
tolerable week at home. <laughs> I'm sure we will FaceTime many times. I'm sure that we will. <sighs> I love you. I love this. Same. I still have your little hoop that says that, but I can't mail it now, so. That's totally fine. <laughs> Hold on to it for me. But I have it and it's yours, so. Thank you. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Um, alrighty. Well. I love you, bud. I love you, too. Take care of yourself. You, too. Also, everybody listening, stay safe. Stay home. Stay inside. Stay healthy. Yeah. Love you, guys. <sighs> All right. Shit's well. crazy. We got this. <laughs> we got this. We can do this. We can do this. Love All you, right, bud. Pal. Love you. Bye. Bye.